Well, if you got a seat next to you, raise your hand. If you got an open seat next to you, raise your hand. Awesome. Got some people in the back. We're a family here. Everyone just come in and sit down. We sit together. Hope you're having a good week. Thanks for coming out. If I haven't met you, my name is Austin and uh, have the unique honor and privilege of leading our group. And it's uh, a great joy of mine. I love it. If you missed the first, uh, the beginning of the service, our amazing resident, Tori, was talking to us. Y'all love Tori? She's awesome. Uh, she was talking to us about next Thursday after the service. We're doing our after party, so there's going to be uh, a lot of fun things happening. It kind of falls at a weird time of the month because it's like the 25th, so it feels a little early for Halloween, right? But if we waited till next week, it would be November 1st, or the week after that would be November 1st. You can't celebrate Halloween like after Halloween. It's just one of those holidays is that like when it's over, it's over, right? So we're going to go ahead and just have some fun next Thursday after the service, have tons of, uh, or a couple of food trucks out there that have already been paid for. You don't have to pay for it, we pay for it for you. So you get a bunch of free food, some s'mores, some apple cider. So uh, it's going to be a good time. I heard we got a DJ coming out. So if you like to dance, maybe they'll play some dancing music for you. Before we get going tonight... Um, I want to recap a little bit from last week. If you were here last week, we started a new series called Relational Vampires and uh, learning to love the people who suck the life out of you. And uh, right, right, because vampires, what do vampires do? They suck the blood out of you. Relational vampires suck the life out of you. And um, we talked about the category of people or, or kind of this uh, the topic of controlling people or manipulators. And um, it was kind of a, a heavy night, honestly. And it was, I talked for like four hours, I think. So I'm not going to do that tonight. Uh, but it was kind of a heavy subject. And so my mind has been all over the place this week, just kind of recapping some of the things that I personally said from stage. And I wanted to uh, kind of close out last week, if that's okay. I don't think I've ever done this. But I, I just feel like I need to give some closing thoughts to maybe bring some clarity. I've just had... Um, my mind's been all over the place this week about last week, and um, just want to make sure I'm, I'm really clear on some things, and I've had some conversations with people as well. So I don't think I, I have to do this, but I um, just felt like I wanted to. So I wrote it down just so I can be really clear. Can I read it? Is that okay? Uh, so a few comments regarding last week's teaching. My mind has not been able to escape the content of my message last week. I believe it was the right word for our group and hopefully many individuals. However, I want to bring some clarity to some areas that may not have been clearly communicated. My hope last week was to empower and embolden you to live a life free from the control or the manipulation of anyone. I 100% believe that relational boundaries and tough conversations are essential to making that happen. However, I'm fully aware that for some, submitting to the control of another is not done out of a lack of courage, but rather layers upon layers of trauma that exist from past relationships. Because of these layers, this person can begin to believe that this is normal, quote unquote, or that their voice is not even heard. 
I want to acknowledge publicly that this kind of trauma is not simply resolved with a four-point conversation. If you find yourself submitting to a controlling person because you have layers of emotional, physical, or verbal trauma, I want you to please listen carefully to what I say next. First, I want you to know this. You are a son and a daughter of God. You are loved, you are treasured, you are valued, you are worthy, and you are deserving of the abundant, full life that God has come to give you. Despite whatever mistakes you may have made or your own personal dysfunction, you can and you should know the taste of freedom from past and present trauma. Second, I want to encourage you to seek healing for the layers of trauma in your life. They will not go away easily, but through the power of God, I fully believe that you can experience his healing grace and love. So let me encourage you to talk to a friend, talk to a professional counselor, or do whatever you need to do to experience a life detached from the past and present trauma caused by a relationship ruled by the strong arm of control or manipulation. Like I said, I don't know that I, I had to say all that, but I, I promise you I love each and every one of you, and I want to make sure I'm really clear on what gets said from stage. Is that okay? Let me uh, begin tonight with telling a few stories. Is that all right? Tell a few stories. I like telling stories. Everybody take a breath. It's going to be good. In uh, 2013, I had the unique honor of going on a mission trip. Anybody been on an international mission trip? Awesome. So you guys kind of know what it's like. I've been on uh, lots of mission trips. Well, not lots. I've been on a few mission trips before that um, in high school and even before high school on international mission trips, uh, some places in Europe. But I'd never been to a third world country. So in 2013, I had the privilege of being a leader on a trip to the country of Haiti. And it was my first trip to a third world country. And at the time, 2013, Haiti obviously is still in a lot of poverty. But at the time, it was in even more severe poverty due to the events that happened in 2010. And so you just had, you know, thousands, really countless numbers of people living uh, in extreme, extreme poverty, without shelter, without food, uh, countless numbers of deaths because of this. And so when I rolled up into Haiti, we were uh, ministering, we were staying in a place about four hours north of the capital of Haiti in Port-au-Prince, and so we get out there really in kind of these village-type areas, and uh, I didn't know what to expect, but what I began to see completely shocked me and rocked my world. If you've been to something like this, you, you know, I mean, uh, just people living in extreme conditions that you think of the worst thing in your mind, that's what it was. I saw little children walking around naked because they didn't have food. I literally would talk to children who had not eaten in multiple days. Uh, tons of just extreme things like that. And uh, it was, I think it was the second day we were there, we got to go to what they called the market. 
And every week they would do a market. It was on Sunday, and it was kind of in the, the town square area. It was not, don't think of Swanee Town Center. Think of uh, just like a space. And everyone would come to this space in the center of town, and they would bring in different things, kind of their specialty, whatever they made. And it was the opportunity for people to purchase items, whether it was food from farming, whether it was uh, things for the house, whatever it was, this was the opportunity for it. So everybody would bring in stuff that they were providing, whether it was on their farm or maybe they had a specialty thing that they made. Maybe they made clothes, whatever. And honestly, this was the chance for money to enter into the you know, circulation of the community. And that was the chance for, for things to begin to thrive. As we walked through the market, uh, obviously there were tons of things and I was just taking it all in. But I came upon uh, a shoemaker. And I remember this lady and found out she made these shoes herself, and then she was selling them into the community, that kind of thing. And I remember talking to the translator at the time, and I said, wow, a shoemaker. I imagine that's a pretty good occupation to have, a pretty good skill to have, because it seems like you guys walk like 10 miles a day, literally, so your shoes probably get worn out, and that seems like it would be a good occupation. And I'll never forget what he said next to me. He said, well, you'd be surprised. And he said, here's what happens. What the American people see on TV is a lot of fat bellies, and they see a lot of people without shoes, a lot of us without shoes. And he said, so their first reaction is, we got to help. They have a need for shoes. And he said, so what you guys do, and he said, no fault to you, but this is what happens. He said, you guys begin to fill garbage bags, trash bags, or boxes full of tennis shoes that you're not going to wear, and then you ship them over here. He said, you may even know of uh, companies in America who do things like if you buy a pair of shoes from us, then we will donate a pair of shoes to the poverty people in Haiti, right? And he said, this is great, and I know you guys feel like you're helping, but he said, what happens is semi-trucks come into here and they dump off loads of free shoes, he said, as a result, free shoes are given out into the community, and so there is no need for us to buy shoes. As a result, the person whose skill is a shoemaker, no one wants to buy her shoes. And he said, as a result, that person doesn't get any money into her family, and they will begin and continue to live in a state of poverty. Can you imagine? I heard that, and I never knew that. And I thought, am I part of the problem? Like, here I am. I just thought I was meeting a need by sending some shoes over. And I'm actually hurting the people even more. I'll tell you another story. Um, there was a lady who called into uh, our church here. I told you a story kind of similar last week. But a lady who called into our church here and, and she was uh, going through some financial pressures at the time. She had uh, lost her job and as a result could not pay her rent for the apartment that week. And she called up here. She said, I'm needing some help. I need money to pay my rent. Can you guys help me? I said, well, ma'am, I would absolutely love to help you. Let me tell you what we can do. Uh, we partner with some organizations around here, some co-ops and some different things, and uh, they are actually more equipped to help you. I would love to send you their contact information. I'll even come and pick you up and take you to these places. But these places are able to provide shelter for you. They're able to help you find a new job, and they're even able to help you eat and these kinds of things. I said they would be a great resource for you. I'd love to uh, help you get there. 
She said, no, 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 I just, I just need money. I just need money. Ma'am, I understand, you. I understand you need money, but let me tell you what we can do. I can't just write a check for everyone that needs money. I'll be writing a check to myself, right? I, I can't just do that. But what I can do is I can take you to these places, and they'd be well-equipped to help you out. And she said, no. She said, I just need money for rent. I don't want these other things. And I said, well, ma'am, I, I can't do that. And she said, this is on you. She said, you're the church. Why aren't you helping me? Doesn't, doesn't the Bible say, knock and the door will be open to you? And here you are closing the door. And she said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the news and I'm going to tell them that the local church refused to help a homeless woman. She said, this is on you. You may have encountered something similar. I don't know if you've ever uh, driven up to a red light or a stop sign or something like that. And maybe on the corner with someone holding a sign holding a sign or maybe just someone you could tell was in uh, some real distress and needed help. And if you're anything like me, you see that and you just have a bunch of emotions go through your mind and through your heart, right? Like, okay, I, I want to help. Like, honestly, I want to help. What can I do to help? I've got a little bit of cash. I've got some food. I've got, and maybe you've been taught in a bunch of different ways that you can help. So you start thinking through all that. But then let's just be honest. Do you have anywhere in the back of your mind that goes, but am I really helping? Do I have any idea what this person is going to do with this? Do I have any idea this is a real person? I've seen the 2020 things of people scamming people. Like, what do I do? Am I the only one that has these emotions, or do you guys have them too? So I don't know if you felt this way, but what do these three things have in common, these three stories? They're all someone in need of something. Someone in need. And I think it's extremely challenging and extremely complex to know how do I help people in need? Like, what do I really do to help? Because I've been to another country where I thought I was helping and I was actually hurting. I don't really know. It's extremely complex and extremely challenging. So what do I... What do I do to help? And then you compound on top of that as believers, as Christians, followers of Jesus, we're told and we believe full heartedly, we do believe this, that we are to lead the way with our love, right? That we, what separates us from the rest of the world is how we love people. So then you compound that on top of our desire to help and our desire to see people's needs met. And then you get this like just whirlwind of emotions going, well, what do I... How do I meet the needs of people? I don't know how to meet the needs of people. And what I found is that what can happen is one of two things. Is one, you just begin to give out of emotional guilt. And really it's just a way of, of kind of calming your guilty conscience. And you know what? I don't, I don't know what this guy is going to do with this $5, but I just feel this emotional guilt, so I'm just going to give it, and at least I'll feel better about myself. And we just give out of emotional guilt. The problem with that is there's the possibility, in fact, a really high possibility, that you're not actually helping, you're actually hurting. And then I have to ask the question, is that true love? Are you really doing what God's called us to do to love if you end up hurting more than you do helping. That's the first thing. The second thing that can happen is you end up carrying the weight or the pressure of meeting people's needs that you were never meant to carry. You were never meant 
to carry that kind of pressure. And so it's not that needy people or people in need suck the life out of you. It's not that. Really what it is, is if you don't know how to think about neediness, if you don't know how to approach the idea that people are in need and I am called to help and love, but also don't want to hurt, if you don't know how to think about it and approach that, it will consume you and it will suck the life out of you. So it is vitally important that you understand how to think, how to think about how to help people in need. And it's not just physical needs. It's people with emotional needs, people with spiritual needs. How do you help people? So if you've ever had one of these questions, I'm praying that tonight will be helpful for you. You ready? Here's here's the questions. When and how often should I help someone in need? What help should I expect from my friends? What should my friends expect from me? What is the right response to a needy person? When am I helping someone and when am I being used by someone? Is there a time when someone asks for help and as a Christian, I should say no? Tonight, I can't answer all of those questions. You're not going to walk out of here with, I know the answer to that. But I want to perhaps give you a new way to think that comes from Scripture about how to meet the needs of people. And listen, at the end of this sermon, you will likely have lots of questions, and you will likely say things like this. Well, what about when dot, 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 you fill in the blank. What about when this? Or what about when that? And here's what I would tell you. I cannot answer every single detailed situation about what you should do when someone is in need. And really, it's going to come down to you uh, listening to God and following his prompting, following where he leads you. I love what Rachel said up here, following the prompt. I need to go help. It's going to come down to you doing that. But I believe if you'll know what the scripture teaches and if you'll know the principles of how to approach and how to think about neediness, then I believe it'll help you uh, kind of guide where God is prompting you to go. Make sense? Someone showed this to me uh, about six or seven years ago, taught me this principle, and it completely radically changed my life and changed the way I think. And here's what it did. Listen, this is important. I've got it bold in my notes. It did not make me indifferent to people's needs. It just made me intentional about how to meet them. Let me say it again. It did not make me indifferent to people's needs. It just made me intentional about my role in helping them. And so I'm going to make an assumption about all of us tonight, okay? I'm going to make an assumption, and the assumption is this. I'm going to assume that you genuinely want to help others, and you care about meeting the needs of people. I'm going to assume that's true for all of us, okay? That all of us genuinely want to help others and we care about meeting the needs of people. Can we say amen? Is that okay? Amen. We care about other people and we want to meet the needs. But I'm also going to make this assumption. That you probably struggle more with feeling guilty about not helping everyone who has a need than you do with having zero compassion for people. I'm assuming that you struggle more with feeling guilty about not helping people than you do having zero compassion for people. I think the majority of you are good people. You have compassion. You want to help. 
and there's need. So that's our, our base for the scripture that I'm going to read tonight and the few things that I'm going to give you. Are you ready? I'm going to read in Galatians chapter 6, um, verses 1, ah, let's do 2 through 5. Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 through 5. It's going to be on the screen if you want to look at it there. It says this, and this is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to a church, to a group of people. Imagine a letter coming to us, instructing us on, on how to live, how to follow Jesus, okay? It says this, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's what? Burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should then test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. And this last line right here gets me. For each one should carry their own load. Does that, is that weird to you? Let's, I want to read the first, the first part again. It says this, carry each other's burdens. And then skip down to the last one. For each one should carry their own load. Now, these seem, I don't know if they seem to you, to me, they, they seem contradictory, don't they? So, so how, how do we carry each other's burdens, but then it says we should carry our own load? What does that look like? It seems contradictory until you unpack the two words. Now, I'm not like a giant Greek guy. I'm not going to get up here and, and tell you all the Greek, uh, the definitions and all that kind of stuff. I think it's interesting, but I don't want to bore people with it. But there are times when if you trace it back to the original language, it will highlight some things that will bring out like a meaning to scripture that you otherwise could not have seen. And this is one of those cases. If you study the word load, look at the word load. The original Greek word for it, uh, I'm, I don't speak Greek. It's like pahortion. You don't care about it, but it's like, it's P-H. I don't know if it's fortion or pahortion. <laughs> I don't know. But here's what the word means. It means a task or service. And it's referring to the capacity. Now, both of these terms, load and burden, are referring to uh, like shipping freight. It's referring to a ship that carries freight. And so when it's talking about load, it's talking about the capacity that the ship has to carry a certain amount of weight. So this ship is this big, and it can carry this much weight on it. it refers to capacity. Now, each person has a load in their life that they're responsible to carry. You have a load. Each person's capacity is different. Yours isn't the same as someone else. It's not that yours is like more and you're better or theirs is. No, you just have different things that you can carry, different things that I can carry. I've learned this about marriage. Uh, I, there are things, I'm a pretty even kill guy. I don't have high highs. I don't have low lows. I just kind of chill, right? And so not a lot, a lot of stuff gets under my skin so I can carry some pressure, more pressure than my wife can. She's stronger than me in other areas, but I just have a different capacity to carry pressure more than her. I, I that doesn't come across demeaning, does it? Am I clearly saying that right? Do I need to go apologize to my wife right now? She's way stronger than me in a lot of things. I'm just saying that we have a different capacity to carry different things, right? Each person, each person's load is unique to them, and, and the amount of capacity that each person has is unique to them. Now, the word burden. Load is talking about capacity. The word burden is this word baros. 
Y'all like that, right? B-A-R-O-S. We'll just go with baros. <laughs> and this is what the word means. It's literally talking about the thought of going down. The thought of being overwhelmed. So going back to the shipping freight analogy, you have a load that you can carry, but a ship gets to a certain point where it begins to sink. When it is burdened, it's overwhelmed with weight. And those are the two different terms that the scripture is referring to. And here's the truth. All of us have experienced times when the weight is beyond what we can bear. You agree? You've had times, I've had times where I'm just completely overwhelmed. This is beyond what I can bear. A burden is a special circumstance that has a beginning and an end. There's a difference between a load and a burden. A burden is usually a special circumstance that has a beginning and an end. No one is ever always burdened. That, that doesn't happen. If you are always burdened, it's likely that you are, are carrying a heavy load. But it's not a burden if it's always the case. A burden is a special circumstance that has a beginning and an end. So here's the principle I'm going to give you tonight. I am responsible for carrying my load and other people's burdens. Write it down. I am responsible for carrying my load and other people's burdens. My load and other people's burdens. You're responsible for carrying your load and other people's burdens. You're responsible for carrying your load and other people's burdens. If we went throughout the room and we just said that to each person, what you would notice eventually is it got to this point. And this is point number one I'd love for you to write down. This is what it means. I am not responsible for your load and you are not responsible for mine. I am not responsible for your load and you are not responsible for mine. Part of uh, becoming an adult, this feels so like dad of me to say, but uh, just go with me. I really do believe it's spiritual, so I'm going somewhere. But, but part of becoming an adult and just maturing or whatever, and you guys are in that adulting phase, right? You're like, no, nah, I've been adulting since I was 14. No, you haven't. You've been adulting for a few years. Uh, part of becoming an adult is that you are now responsible and held accountable for things, right? You are now fully responsible and you're held accountable for things. And we try to teach this to kids at a young age. Your parents probably tried to teach it to you. My parents taught it to me. I'm in the process of teaching it to my son. Uh, we try and teach at a young age. We start with, son, this is your room. You are responsible for keeping it clean, right? Pretty simple. Just we want you to feel responsibility. And then it escalates a little bit more. Son, this is your homework. You are responsible for doing it or else you're going to fail a class. And then you're going to go to summer school and then all these other things. And you're going to have to miss out on this and this and this. But it's your responsibility. And we want to give people responsibility. We want to help them to feel responsibility. And then it escalates. Son, this is your car. You are responsible for maintaining it. Some of you are like, I wish I had a car to maintain. That'd be nice. Daughter, this is your credit card. Notice how I switched genders there. Daughter, this is your credit card. <laughs> if you continue to buy things on it, you're going to have to pay for it. And we just start 
giving a little bit of responsibility here and there. We try and teach these things as an, at an early age because as you mature, you'll notice that your load begins to increase. You are likely feeling that right now. That as you are adulting, your load is increasing and you're having to carry. We've talked about pressure before, very similar. You're having to carry more pressure, more responsibility, more load. And you are now managing things that perhaps in the past your parents have managed for you. And this is the tricky part about parenting, honestly, for those of you that aspire to be parents. This is the tricky part about parenting and it's the tricky part about the age of life that you're in right now. You are now having to manage things that in the past your parents have managed for you. Things like workload. Things like character load. If you show up late to work, you're going to get fired and you don't have a job. Things like financial load. Things like spiritual load. Things like your own health load. I remember the first time I started to realize that uh, my body, my metabolism does not work like it used to. My load to carry. I got to figure it out. Recently, uh, I'm trying to teach. I know he's two years old. He's real young, uh, my son. By the way, did you guys see, uh, found out we're having another son, another boy? So, got two boys coming my way. Please pray for me. Or one more boy coming my way. Um, but recently, we're, we're trying to teach my son. He's at this age now where he's in between infant and toddler. And so it's that time where you start saying, hey, there are consequences for your actions. Obviously, these have boundaries. You don't want him to feel the full consequences. But there are some things. And so one of the things right now is I'm saying, son, um, you do realize that if you eat candy corn every morning for breakfast, you're going to get a cavity and maybe diabetes. We have to check this, son. And it's his responsibility I'm kidding, but, but we are learning. Like, there are some things. If he, if, if he decides that he wants to run on the couch, there's the possibility he's going to fall off it. And honestly, I don't want to save him every single time because I want him to learn. He has to be careful when he runs on the couch or he's going to fall off, right? There, there are consequences. And what happens is if I rescue him from these consequences, then I am setting something into his soul that he is above consequences, and for many of you, your parents set that into your soul, that you are above consequences. And what happens when we do that is we now, I now, for my son, I become the carrier of his load rather than him learning to carry his own load. And I know it's extreme, he's two, but I'm saying this is the progression and this is the complexity of parenting is you have to learn how to help your children carry their load. And you have to right now Learn what it means to carry your load. I'll give you an example. If, um, if my neighbor comes over to my house, which, which is funny because one of my neighbors is another pastor here at 12 if, if my neighbor comes over to my house and he says, Austin, would you mind uh, cutting my grass for me for like September and October and just take care of my lawn? Usually I edge it, I cut it, I do bag it. So you got to dump the bags, the worst. You got to dump the bags. You got to then blow it off. He said, that's all I do. It takes usually like an hour and a half, two hours or whatever. But he said, can you just do it for like September and October? Because um, I have tickets to the Georgia games. And so I want to go every Saturday and some are out of the state. And so it just takes, and I just don't have time to cut my grass. Would you mind doing it? First, I'm going to say, well, 
if you can get me tickets to the SEC game where Georgia's going to beat Alabama, then yes, I would be glad. <laughs> Shots fired. Then yes, I'd be. No, no, what am I going to say? I'm going to say, uh, no. You mow your lawn, I mow my lawn. You take care of your house, I take care of my house. You pay your bills, I pay my bills. You manage your life, I manage my life. You work your job, I work my job. I'm not cutting your grass for you. Now, that's called his load. That's his responsibility, right? Let me give you another example. If I find out that my neighbor, that his wife comes down with some illness or whatever, and they've got months and months of treatments and just an overwhelming like burden that comes upon them, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go cut his grass without him even asking me to do it. Because I know that he is overwhelmed, burdened by something that has happened in his life. And it would be my joy, my honor to carry that burden for him in that season of his life. That's the difference between a load and a burden. Does that make sense to you? That's the difference. We have to learn the difference between what is somebody's load and what is somebody's burden. And we are confused. Listen closely. We are confused when we think that someone else is responsible for our load. And we are equally confused when we think that we are responsible for someone else's load. And this goes for spirituality too. Like, this is a battle as a pastor. We, we want to minister to each other. We want to encourage each other. We're here for each other. This is why we do things like discipleship and small groups and, and we pray for one another because, because we have a part in encouraging each other in our faith but when it comes down to it, you need to know this. Your spirituality is yours to own. Your walk with God is yours to own. I cannot carry that for you. That is your load to carry. Just like mine is my load. I have to carry it. You are not going to one day stand before God and give an account for how you carried someone else's spiritual load. It's going to be yours. What did you do with yours? And this is a battle as a as someone who does this for a job, my, my leaning is to want to carry all of yours. And I believe that I have a role in helping to carry it, in shaping it. I believe that my role is to hear from God what he wants for us as a group and then give it to you. But then the choice is yours. It's up to you. No one can carry it but you. And this is where I think it's a little bit of a shift in our thinking from like high school to where you're at now. Because in high school, you kinda, it kind of gets managed for you a little bit. Like your parents may have made you go to church, it may have been just a routine, it may have been something that you had to do or, or, or whatever. Maybe your parents uh, prayed with you at night or someone, like it was kind of brought to you. Now it is your responsibility. It's your load to carry. So number two, you got to know this is true. When I carry your load, I am hurting you. When I do not carry your load, I'm helping you. Now, this is opposite of how we usually think. But it's true. When I carry your load, I'm hurting you. When I do not carry your load, I'm helping you. This is why it's so important that you seek to understand the difference between someone's load and someone's burden. i give you a story to kind of illustrate it. A friend of mine uh, who works here, I was kind of talking to them about this subject, and he was telling me about this time that he got in a conversation with uh, parents of 
a college student here at the church. This was a while ago, so nobody in this room. But, um, and they said this. They said, our, our college-age son has a problem. He has a problem. Amen. They said he dropped out of college. He's uh, started smoking weed. He won't get a job. All he does is he lives at home. He eats all of our food. He just plays video games with his friends, and he gets high. He's wasting his life. He's doing nothing with his life. Sounds kind of awesome to me, actually. <laughs> I don't think your son has a problem. I think he's actually living the dream, right? He's got no response except for the high part, guys. <laughs> like, he's got no responsibility. This sounds great. He just sits at home, hangs with friends, does what he wants. Sounds pretty good to me. He doesn't have a problem at all. Like, I want to be your kid. Can you adopt me, right? I want to be your kid if this is how it works in your house. Let me ask you a question. Were these parents helping their son or hurting their son? I know you probably say that just because you know the right answer, but that's more complicated than you think. But listen to me. When you carry someone's load, you hurt them, not help them. When your friend doesn't have any money and so you always pay for him, are you helping him or hurting him? <laughs> when you let your friend live at your house because they're too lazy to get a job and get money for themselves, are you helping them or hurting them? And so my friend responded to this couple and he said, I think you should know that your son doesn't have the problem. You have the problem. You have the problem. What if we, what if we instead made your son pay rent? And they said, well, he wouldn't be able to pay it. To which my friend said, that's his problem. That's his problem then. And he has to carry that problem. Throw him out if he can't pay rent. And so he began to tell me how the rest of the story played out. And uh, the parents incorporated this into their home, ended up kicking their son out. He bounced around from friend's house to friend's house living and ended up for a uh, one or two nights lived, uh, slept in the bushes of his parents' front yard because he had no place to stay. And his parents saw it and knew it and let him do it. And eventually, their son rang their doorbell and said, I have a job interview tomorrow. I'd like to come in and take a shower. Will you please let me? To which they said, absolutely. They let him in. And their son began the process, the journey of getting his life back on track and enrolled in the school again, got a job. They helped pay for his college, right? So it's not that they hate their son. It's that they love him so much that sometimes loving people means you have to let them crash their life themselves so that they are desperate enough to get themselves out of it. In fact, some of you in this room right now have experienced that. Maybe you are experiencing that. And many of you, I know many of you, can attest to actually the help that it did for your life, for your parents to do that. Because they were helping you by not carrying your load. That doesn't sound very Christian for them to do that. Right? Doesn't the Bible say that we should give to everyone who asks? Shouldn't we, when we see a homeless person, isn't it our responsibility as Christians to help? This is tough, isn't it? This is tough. I want to read to you another scripture that I think shines a light on this. 
And it's in 2 Thessalonians, and it's uh, the same guy, the Apostle Paul, is writing to a group of Christians at the time. And he is challenging them. And what was happening in that church, in that group of people at the time, is there were groups that were too lazy to get a job, too lazy to provide for themselves. And then, as a result, they were kind of using spirituality as an excuse. I've seen this happen in real life. As in... um, I believe that Jesus will provide for my every need. Therefore, I'm just going to sit back and wait for him to do it. Jesus is coming back one day, and we can't take any material things with us. So why should we work, and why should we do things like that in today's world? I'm just going to sit back and wait. That's what was happening in this culture. And then Paul writes this. Let's read it, 2 Thessalonians. He says, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, he's saying, this is us, when we were with you guys, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Listen to this. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. And we hear that some among you are idle. They're busy. They are busy bodies. They're not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. So what did Paul say to them? Essentially, he said, fine. If that's what you want to do, then you're just going to starve. This seems so harsh, doesn't it? And hear me, this is so complex. And like last week's, last week's topic has layers upon layers. And in your mind, you're probably thinking, well, what about when this? What about when this? But this is what the scripture says, that each person is responsible for carrying their own load. And like I said, I cannot answer every single situation what you should do in this moment. You're going to have to listen for God to guide you. But this is a principle from the Bible. And my prayer is that it will help guide how you respond to people in need. So point number three, and then I'm done. I will not enable you to be weak. Rather, I will empower you to be strong. Isn't that what you want to do? I mean, isn't that how you want to help people? You want to empower people to be strong, not enable them to be weak. But when you carry someone's load for them, you are enabling them to be weak. You are enabling them to stay in their dysfunction when you carry it for them. When you carry someone's load, here's what it can do. It can undermine God's growth plan. Think about that. Here's what the scripture says in Hebrews. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is not disciplined by his father? You know what that says? Is that God will allow you to go through hardship. Doesn't mean that he caused it, but he will allow you to go through hardship in your life so that it disciplines you. Like a father to a son, he allows you to face it. Now imagine this, that you are the one that swoops in to rescue someone from whatever they're facing and you actually steal them away from the process that God is trying to take them through in order to discipline them, in order to bring them into a more likeness of him. You don't want that, do you? 
Now, that's not always true. Like, hardship it doesn't mean that you would just let people go through hardship and go, oh, God's, you know, just teaching you something. No, there are times that we need to carry people's burdens. But you have to be careful about when you rescue someone from perhaps what God is leading them through on purpose. Second thing, when you carry someone's load for them, it communicates a lack of belief. Dylan, you can come up. We're going to worship. When you carry someone's load for them, what you are doing is you are communicating a lack of belief in them. Here's what I mean. When I carry your load for you, I'm actually stealing your dignity from you. I'm actually saying that I don't believe you have what it takes to get out of this. I'm actually saying to you that you are weak and you need me. There's a sense of dignity. I'll, I'll give you an example. A bunch of years ago, I was an intern at a church, and we, were, uh, we had the opportunity. We heard about a family in our church who the dad had lost his job, and they were going through some hard times. And so uh, me and a few other people, kind of from a small group, we, set, we decided that we were going to provide Christmas for this family, a really... I think a pretty solid thing to do. It seemed like a really noble thing to do. And so we all pitched in some money. We, they had three kids. We bought each of their kids something. And we showed up to their door on Christmas Eve night to provide them with Christmas presents because we knew that they would not be able to do that because they were in such a financial struggle. When we did that, we showed up like Santa Claus to their door. And it was this, oh, amazing. And all these kids came running up. And they loved it. Every part of it, oh, you guys are awesome. And as we stood around, I just kind of walked up to the, the dad, and I was like, this is awesome, isn't it? So glad we can do this for you. When I did that, he had tears in his eyes. And I thought, well, that doesn't seem like a, the right emotion to be displaying in this moment. I said, you, you all right? And he said, yeah, I'm good. It just reminds me of what I could not give to my kids. He said, it just reminds me that I was not able to provide for them. Reminds me that I needed someone to swoop in and kind of save me and my family. He says, just a little bit embarrassing, honestly. He said, I'm so sorry. I, that was not my intentions at all. But what we did is we stole a little bit of that man's dignity from him. And I began to think, what? I mean, is there a better way? Is there something we could have done? Maybe we could have, like, found something for him to do. Like, hey, if you come... I don't know, serving this way at the church or help us clean after service or do something, then we'll pay you a little bit of money or maybe you can help us do some landscape around the church and we'll find you something where we can give you a little bit of money or maybe, hey, what, what can you buy for your, for your children? Whatever you can do, we will match that. I think there were other ways that we could have helped this dad not feel so embarrassed that he wasn't able to provide for his kids. But here's my point. Sometimes when we just emotionally give, we do more hurt than we do help. So it's incredibly important that you understand how to meet someone's neediness, how to meet the need of someone who needs help. It's possible that they're under an incredible burden at the time that's come on their life, and we as the church and we as followers of Jesus get to swoop in and help them carry a burden for that time just like what Rachel did for the people down in Georgia and Florida who were suffering from the hurricane. But it's also possible, and this is why you have to be so careful, 
that you will actually do more harm than good if you carry someone's load for them. And so I know this may have stretched you a little bit. I I hope it challenged you a little bit. My goal for tonight was to help you think. Just help you think. Like I said, I cannot solve everything and you're you're gonna see someone on the side of the road who needs help. You're gonna encounter somebody at school, at work who needs help. And, and, and like I said earlier, this does not give you permission to be indifferent to someone's needs. It just gives you permission to be intentional about how you go about meeting them. Make sense? More than anything, you will have to listen to the Spirit of God lead you into how He would have you respond to need. But I believe it's coupled with this wisdom in the Scriptures. So let me pray for you. Father, I really do believe that it is every person's desire to help. It's every person's desire to care for others. It's it's every person's desire in here to be the person that comes alongside when someone needs somebody else. And Lord, I believe that you, you would call us to that. You would call us as the church to be the people that offer support when it's needed. Ultimately, God, because you've called us to love. But, oh, God, we need help. We need wisdom of knowing when our love actually does more harm than it does good. So, Lord, we, we, we need your wisdom. We, we need your voice in this. We need your inspiration in this. Lord, we don't want to be a bunch of robots that just live by a principle. We want the Spirit of God to lead us through this and speak through these principles and guide us into how you would have us lead. And so, Lord, would you open our minds, open our hearts, help us to be receptive of how you would lead us. And, Lord, would you raise up people in this room, raise up a group in this church to be the most kind, loving group of people that anyone has ever seen. But maybe perhaps that's done by helping someone more long-term than short-term. So God, give us wisdom as we apply this. Help us to seek your face more than anything else. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.